Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation in the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Oh, good morning, everyone. I'm afraid I can't promise anything anywhere like as energetic as uh, what Duncan has just uh, given for us this morning. Um, but um, let me uh, first introduce myself. If we haven't met before, my name's Johnny. Uh, I'm the, the pastor and part of the leadership team here at Hebron. Uh, it is great to, to see you all uh, and to gather together on a very sunny uh, summer's morning, it still feels like. Um, as, as Duncan's mentioned, we're going to spend a few minutes thinking together about Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 11, it would be helpful if you could have that in front of you as we think about it together over the next few minutes. Before we spend time thinking about that, though, let me, um, as, as we always do, ask God for his help, um, because we need it. Let's pray before we begin. Thank you. Our God and Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a speaking God. And we thank you that your word is living and active. And we therefore pray that you'd please be at work among us as we spend some time together thinking on it this morning. We ask these things for our joy and for your glory, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Amen. Well, let me begin this morning, as I often do, with a question that will hopefully get us thinking. What relationship do you have to the members of this church family. What relationship do you have to the members of this church family? Now, um, I should say, if this is your first time with us, or if you're just visiting, you might not yet know how you would answer that question. You might not yet know what relationship you have or will have with this church family. My hope and prayer is that it will be a very warm and loving one, as many folks experience here, if you stick around. But for those of us who have been around for a little while longer... What relationship do you have with the members of this church family? You might think of, of, the, of the church here as being your friends, and particularly if you've been around for a little while. They're people with whom you've shared a fair bit of life together, who may share a, a sort of common worldview with you, and with whom you have quite a bit in common. Perhaps instead, though, the answer was in the question. Maybe you think of this church family, this group of Christians, as family. Not only people whom you get on with and you don't mind spending some time with once or twice a week, 
but people whom you love and care for and you feel their love and care in return. Or maybe instead for you, well, you'd quite like to avoid having any relationship with other Christians at all, if you possibly can, whether in Hebron or otherwise. You might be a Christian despite other Christians, in fact, because Christians can sometimes be a little bit annoying. Most likely for lots of us, I guess, you might think of, of Christians as falling into a combination of those different categories from time to time, as, as friends, as, as family, perhaps even sometimes a little bit annoying too. Well, we're starting a new series in this letter of Philippians this morning. It'll take us up right towards the end of November. And it, for Christians in particular... One of the big outboxes, if you like, one of the big applications of this whole letter to us will be to give us another category to think of our relationship to one another. Not as friends or as family or as annoying even, but as partners. Partners in the gospel. That is a key theme of the whole letter of Philippians, gospel partnership. Now, we'll see in a few minutes that that isn't to say that we aren't also friends. We aren't also family. I very much hope you know that to be true of your relationships with other Christians here at Hebron. But gospel partnership describes something a little bit more than that. At that point, is made perhaps most clearly in what may be one of the key verses in the whole book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27. If you do have a Bible, let me encourage you please to turn that up. It is just worth seeing that this is what the text says, not what I say it says. Chapter 1, verse 27. And let me read that for us. Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The church Paul was writing to in a place called, called Philippi was a church that was chock full of gospel partners, of Christians who were striving side by side, working together for the faith of the gospel. And so what we're going to be prompted to think about over the the coming few weeks and months is the extent to which, functionally, we are partners in the gospel with one another here as a church family at Hebron. And that's all by way of introduction to the letter of Philippians as a whole, But it also serves as an introduction to this morning's passage in particular, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. We'll think about that under um, our first heading this morning. Praise God for gospel partnership, verses 1 to 8. Now, I wonder how you feel about PDAs. Do you know what a PDA is? It isn't a handheld computer, as much as it might sound like one. It is an acronym, and it stands for Public Displays of Affection. And even as I say that, I can feel some of you tensing up. Think of the couple holding hands as they walk down the street together or sending gushy messages to one another multiple times a day on social media. Or, and I guess the the biggest PDA of them all, the couple making vows to one another in front of all their nearest and dearest and deciding to write their own vows because the traditional ones aren't quite affectionate enough. 
think it's fair to say that, that culturally we have a, a bit of a mixed relationship with PDAs here in Scotland, and they can make us feel a bit twitchy, a bit uncomfortable. But let me just say, if you share that cultural twitchiness, then you should brace yourself. Because that is just how Paul starts this letter to the church in Philippi, with one massive PDA. Just scan through those opening verses with me again. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul starts this letter by telling the Philippians that he's praying for them. And that isn't unusual for Paul. He actually starts quite a number of his letters in that way. What is more unusual about Philippians is quite how affectionate it is. Philippians 1 sounds less like a formal epistle and more like a love letter. He yearns for them. He holds them in his heart. It's one big PDA. And there is a reason he loves them so much. It isn't just because he gets on with them. Or that he has fond memories of time spent with them. Although he does, I think. We read about that time in the book of Acts. But that isn't why he loves them quite so much. At least not in chapter 1. He tells us in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thankful for their gospel partnership. Now, I'm aware that I've banged on about partnership quite a lot so far this morning. I dread to think how many times I've actually used that word already. I hope no one's been counting. But it is just worth asking, what does it actually mean? What is gospel partnership? Because you see, we are fortunate here at Hebron that we have really warm and affectionate relationships with a number of what we have even called during our service this morning, gospel partners, both at a national and at a global level, people we support prayerfully and financially around the world. But because we get on really well with our gospel partners, well, we might be tempted to to drift into thinking of gospel partnership as, as being little more than friendship. So we love Kirsty and Colin and Alida and Sergey and Arena and all of our gospel partners around the world. And because we love them, we want to find out how they're doing. Gospel partnership is just like a warm friendship between people who like each other and who've known each other for a long time. But whilst all of those things are true, wonderfully true, there is something that's more fundamental binding us to each of our gospel partners. Two things, in fact. Paul explains the first of those in verse 7. Just read that verse again with me. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Gospel partnership is, is firstly rooted in a shared experience of the grace of God. They are partakers with Paul of grace. Now that was was true for the church in Philippi with Paul, but it's true for us too. In fact, it's the only reason we're sitting here together this morning. I mentioned earlier that you might think of the church here as a place of of friendship with like-minded people, 
But the truth is that we're actually all pretty different from one another. I wonder if you've ever thought that. Different backgrounds and, and nationalities and, and ethnicities and, and interests. We're actually a bit of a ragtag group, really. But we do have something in common. If you're a Christian here, each of us have rejected God and deserve his rejection in return. But each of us have been graciously welcomed into his family because of Jesus and his death in our place. We are shared recipients of the grace of God. And that commonality, that shared experience, binds us together if we're Christians like nothing else can. You see, gospel partners aren't just pals. They're people bonded together by our shared experience of the grace of God. But they're even more than that. Because you see, having a shared experience of the grace of God might make us united, might make us a family even, but that isn't the entirety of what Paul says makes people partners in the gospel. And actually, we saw an illustration of that as a church family a couple of Sunday mornings ago. You might have been here for that. It isn't all that unusual for churches in the same local area to occasionally host a a joint Sunday morning service together. And those times can be encouraging. We're a group of different churches who usually do things slightly differently from one another. They all sort of come together and celebrate the fact that even though we're all different, that we all follow the same Jesus. And uh, we were part of a joint Sunday service a couple of Sunday mornings ago with with Bonacord Free Church and Gilcomston Church, which was kind of like that, but only kind of like that. Because you see, our joint service two Sundays ago wasn't a celebration of unity for unity's sake, nor even a celebration of the fact that Philippians 1 verse 7, we're all partakers of God's grace together. Because in the week running up to that Sunday... We had joined together as churches, had run a holiday club for primary school children in the local area, had run Legacy, an outreach event for secondary school aged children in the local area. And that meant that we weren't just celebrating unity, the fact that we all follow the same Jesus. We were gathering together as an act of active partnership. Can you see the difference between those two things? joining together side by side to tell people about Jesus. And that is the kind of thing that the letter of Philippians is all about. Not about gospel unity alone, important though that is, extraordinary though that is where it's existing, but about gospel partnership. Where am I getting that from? Well, just read with me the end of verse 7. Paul writes, You're all partakers with me of grace, both... In my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now we're going to see next Sunday morning that Paul is writing this whole letter from prison. And that he's in prison for telling people the good news about Jesus. And he says that the Philippians are gospel partners with him because they are invested in that same work. And I use that word invested quite literally. They weren't physically in prison with him. But we read later in chapter 4 that the Philippians had sent money to Paul to help support him in his ministry. So you see, gospel partners are united by sharing the same grace of God, wonderfully so. But more than that, 
united by a common investment in the same gospel work, sharing a common goal, that people would hear the wonderful good news about Jesus, would grow in their knowledge and love of him. Now, that was the case for Paul and the Philippians. It's the same, too, for our local and global gospel partners. We share in the same gospel grace and in the same gospel work, even with people on the far side of the world. But it is just worth being clear this morning that gospel partnership isn't just a a, a sort of sending out thing. See, when we hear news from, from gospel partners in different parts of the world, I often think to myself, I might be alone in this, I often think to myself, there is no way that I could do the work that some of our gospel partners are doing. That, that our gospel partners are, are, are some sort of special breed of Christian, like the, the, the Christian SAS, if you like. But partnership in Paul's mind, it isn't for super special Christians. Because Philippi Evangelical Church were partners not only with Paul, but with one another. I mentioned that a moment ago. They were standing side by side. And I think that is a helpful reminder for us here as a church family. A reminder of of what we're involved in when we meet together week by week. Whether on Sundays or in home groups or serving in various outreach initiatives through each week. Because you see, there is a difference between being a gospel partner and a gospel well-wisher. A gospel well-wisher might be able to affirm Hebron's statement of faith, might be a clear and committed Christian, might enjoy Sunday services and and the friendships that we have as a result of being here, may wish Hebron every success in the church's ventures. But for a gospel well-wisher, well, the work is someone else's work to do. You see, a gospel partner stands shoulder to shoulder with their fellow Christians, Encouraging one another to keep pressing forward, bonded together by the same grace of God, and sharing the same gospel work for the city of Aberdeen that people here would come to know about Jesus. Now, just to encourage you, that is a real feature of this church family. Struck me this week, actually, as some of our midweek outreach ministries got up and running again, where members of this church family were standing together to serve this community by telling people about Jesus. And it was a wonderful thing. It happens too in home groups and in informal coffees between people through the week. In prayer meetings where people gather together to pray for friends whom we would love to come to know Jesus for themselves. And as we pray too for one another that we would grow to love Jesus more and more and be more like him. You see, we do that gospel work, telling people about Jesus and encouraging one another to do that, not as lone rangers, not as gospel well-wishers, but side by side as partners. So please do be encouraged. Hebron is a place where partnership is alive and well. And with Paul, I think we can and should give thanks to God for that. But I do wonder if it's everyone's experience of church life. See, now's as good a time as any to have a think about whether you, you might be more of a gospel well-wisher than a gospel partner. Perhaps you're a committed Christian, been around Hebron for a while, enjoy church life, 
But church feels like a sort of spectator sport for you, something you drop into and out of. You give an hour of your week to, and that's really it. Now, I'm not saying, please hear me very, very clearly. I'm not saying that to be a gospel partner, you need to sign up for a rota, because you don't. Sally might well throttle me for saying that, but you don't to be a gospel partner. And actually, sometimes being a partner in the good news of Jesus means that you're just willing to be cared for by other Christians for a while, not least if you're going through a tough spell, as I know that some of us are. But it still is absolutely worth having this category in our minds as we think of one another as a church family, side-by-side service alongside brothers and sisters. That will involve an investment of time, of energy, of prayer, of gifts, of money, working shoulder to shoulder for the faith of the gospel. And the start of a new academic year might be a good time, well, to stop being a gospel well-wisher and to step into being a gospel partner. Please don't hear that as 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 a whip being cracked. It's not. It's an invitation. If you aren't sure how to do that, we would be absolutely delighted to to help you think about what that might look like for you. Please come and speak to me or to Duncan after the service, if that is you, or email Sally in the church office. We'd be absolutely delighted to help you think about what this might look like for you. Paul is is thankful, thankful for the Philippians' partnership in, in the gospel, sharing in gospel grace and sharing gospel work. And he's thankful for that, and that they've shared in that from the day they came to faith until now. But that isn't the only horizon Paul has in mind. He begins this letter, if you notice, by looking backwards. He thanks God as he looks back from that first day, verse 5, which is the day they, they became Christians, I think, the day that Paul planted this church in Philippi, until now, the day that he wrote this letter. But as well as looking back with great warmth, He also has another time marker in view. Verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's looking back with thanksgiving, but he's also looking forwards to the day of Christ, he calls it, the day when Jesus will return. And if he's thankful for the past... Well, just notice that he's prayerful for the future. Verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And so in the the last few minutes of our time, let's just spend a a few moments turning our eye to the future with Paul, praying to God for gospel progress. Verses 9 to 11. Now, there are certain people who, when they get in touch with you, you can get that sort of sinking feeling that something might well be amiss. When a letter from HMRC lands on your doorstep and you quickly try to remember if you submitted your tax return on time this year or not, or when you've got a missed call from the dentist, could it be a a, a sign that you've just missed your appointment? You'll notice that both of those examples suggest I might be administratively challenged. Please do pray for me. And I often do wonder, though, if, if, if getting one of the Apostle Paul's letters might have felt a little bit like that. Because Paul often wrote to churches to address some sort of wonky behavior or thinking in a church. And so when you read through the New Testament, each letter often addresses one main error, either in Christian living or in Christian thinking. But that isn't really Paul's goal in writing the letter to the Philippians. 
He does address one pastoral issue we'll see in chapter 4, but that isn't the main reason he writes the letter. We've seen already that he's thankful for their partnership from the first day until now, and as he turns his gaze towards the future, he doesn't need to try and get them back on track, because they're already on track. And so what he wants for them is to keep going. Just read verses 9 to 11 with me again. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. His big prayer is that their love would abound. Not that they would start loving, but that they would have even more of the love they already have, both for God, I think, and for one another. And that love isn't a a sort of squishy, amorphous thing. It isn't just a feeling even. He wants them to love, verse 9, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And in the context of what he's just been saying, Paul's big prayer has to be, I think, that they would keep pressing on in this partnership with one another, making good and wise decisions as they do so. And listen, wouldn't that be an encouraging takeaway message for some of us this morning as we step into a new academic year together? Keep going. If you're a gospel partner here at Hebron, don't rest on your laurels. Keep pressing on. Strive side by side as you invest time and energy and money and effort in the good news of Jesus going out. That'd be a great idea for us to take into the new academic year. But you see, for Paul, that love abounding, well, it isn't just a case of us knuckling down. It isn't just a case of us signing up for a couple more rotas. Because you see, Paul says that there are three parties involved in his partnership with the Philippians. When have you noticed that? There is Paul, who's writing. There's the church in Philippi, who are receiving the letter. But there is another party actively involved in this partnership. And in fact, he's the founding member. Verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Or again, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Three partners in this gospel partnership, Paul, the Philippians, and the God of the universe. It's not an extraordinary thing that God himself brought about this partnership in the first place And ultimately, he's the only one who can keep them going and can keep them growing in partnership with one another. And surely that's why Paul starts this whole letter, by by reflecting in prayer. He knows they need God's help if they're to keep going. And so how will we, Hebron, press on in partnership as we study Philippians together over the next few weeks? And not only that, how do we do all of that in the face of of, of difficulties that may well come? Whether opposition from, from external sources, strains from inside the church family, our own apathy. 
How do we ensure that our love for God and our love for one another will grow more and more? Well, listen, it will involve commitment on our part. Paul uses the language of striving and straining to describe gospel partnership, but the fruitfulness of a gospel partnership, of our partnership with each other, it doesn't ultimately hinge on my discipline or on your discipline because there are three parties involved in our partnership here at Hebron. There is you and there is you and there is the God of the universe. If God is the one who started the good work among this church family, then he is the one who can bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so the take-home message this morning is that if we are going to press on in gospel partnership, as listen, I think genuinely God would have us do at this stage in our church family's life. If that's what we are to do, then we need to pray as we'll do this Wednesday evening, won't we? As we gather on Wednesday evening downstairs to pray, to ask God to keep growing our love for him and growing our love for one another and growing our willingness to press on with the work together here at Hebron. Now, as we close, if you are a partner here at Hebron, if you're bound to other Christians here through shared grace and shared work, please be encouraged by that. But please don't be complacent about it. Because if we are to keep going and growing in partnership in the days to come, we need God's help. And so if you're to resolve to do anything after this morning, resolve to pray. To ask God to work in and through you to keep you going and growing in the days to come. Perhaps though you would describe yourself as as more of a gospel well-wisher. Someone who wants things to go well overall here at Hebron, but aren't actually invested in any real way yourself. Well, might I encourage you to prayerfully think about ways in which you might invest in partnership here at Hebron. Where you can both encourage and be encouraged by other Christians. Sharing in the same grace of God. And sharing together in that work of holding out the good news of Jesus. Now that work will look differently for each of us. But we can help one another to do what God would have us do. And it's a wonderful privilege to be able to do so. And lastly, perhaps you don't fall into either camp, either gospel partner or gospel well-wisher. Perhaps you'd describe yourself not really as being a a Christian at all. And, And frankly, all of this chat about gospel partnership has felt a bit baffling to you this morning. If you are in that camp, then, well, please feel very welcome. We are genuinely delighted to have you with us this morning. And I understand that it might sound pretty full on to hear me speaking about being partners in the gospel and getting the good news of Jesus out there for people to hear it. But it is just worth saying that the only reason for that, the only reason that we are serious about that work here, is that that good news about Jesus, that he died to rescue people to himself, well, it's the best news you will ever hear. It changes people's lives in the most extraordinary ways And listen, it is absolutely worth staking your life on it. We have wonderful news, and we just want to tell people about it and do that together. If you've never thought about it, but would like to chat about it more, again, please do grab me after the service is over. I'd love to speak with you. Now, as we close, I'm going to ask the God who can bring about gospel partnership to do that work here among us at Hebron. And to do that, I'm actually going to steal some of Paul's words 
and apply them to ourselves. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, may our love as a church family abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.